0: Welcome back to Beyond the Bracket, a special edition series of a Sports Beat KC podcast that's here to cover everything March Madness, presented by the First Federal Bank of Kansas City. I'm Lila Bromberg, and each week I'm going to be bringing on reporters and columnists from around the country to discuss college hoops. We've made it through the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, and there's plenty of upsets and storylines to get into. And we're going to have you covered with the women's side of things as well, so be sure to stick around for the second half of the show when I'll be joined by Augusta Stone, who covers South Carolina for the state. But to kick things off, I'm joined by my Kansas City star colleague, Blair Kirkhoff, and Anthony Christensen for the Columbia Missourian. Thanks so much for joining, guys.
1: Great to see you, Lila. And Anthony?
2: Yeah, great to be on. Thank you for thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, excited to have both you guys. And quite the thrilling first two rounds of the tournament. We've got four double-digit seeds in the Sweet 16. and we're going to get into all that, including discussing our biggest takeaways and surprises, previewing those matchups coming up, and debate who has the best shot left at a national championship. Blair, I'll start with you. What stood out to the most to you so far for these first two rounds?
1: A couple of things. Well, first of all, uh, the games were good from the beginning until the end. And when I say the end, I mean the bitter end, overtime of the last game played in the you know, in the second round, uh, that was the Arizona top seeded Arizona surviving TCU in overtime. I didn't get to bed until after midnight watching that game. And then because it's the NCAA tournament, it took me another hour and a half or so just to fall asleep because I'm so, so revved up from watching mm-hmm. the basketball all day. It's such a great time of the year. But my biggest takeaways from the first weekend. Uh, Big 12 had a good week, very good weekend with three of it. You know, going six and zero in the first round, and, and even though Baylor is a top seed, loss they did push three to the to the Sweet 16. The Big 12's best tournaments they've had four in the Sweet 16, so they've got three this time. Um, Mike Shashewsky getting his you know his his team to the uh, you know to the next round and keeping his coaching career alive for at least one more week with career win number 1200. And then, and then of course St. Peter's. What an incredible, you know, just incredible run for them! Second year in a row that a 15 seed's gotten to the Sweet 16. But I'm not sure there's ever been a bigger underdog in terms of not just seeding but brand and scope of program than uh, than St. Peter's over Kentucky in the first round. That was just incredible.
0: Yeah, St. Peter's has been really awesome to see. I have a friend who used to play games there and was telling me it's pretty much, you know, a YMCA community style type gym in the middle of Jersey city. I mean, you've got less than 4,000 students that go to that school. None of these kids were really ranked recruits and what they've been able to do and what Shaheen Holloway has been able to do as their head coach has been incredible to see. I really had Kentucky pegged as a team that was had a chance to go all the way and really look like they're primed to do something special and for St. Peter's to get them in that first game and then be able to, you know, ride that emotional high and still then be able to come out and beat Murray state. in the second round was really impressive. What what do you like the most about St. Peter's right now, Anthony?
2: Doug Eddard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's playing, he's playing really well. I like his, uh, I mean his uh, his play from from deep is great and his mustache is enviable. Um but I mean I I like you said I really like the way that Holloway's got the team playing. Um there's a reason he's getting linked to some bigger jobs for whenever their run does end and uh yeah, I'm really really looking forward to their game against Purdue coming up.
1: Hey, one of the things Lila that uh one of the little side stories was the, the St. Peter's cheerleaders could not uh, afford to go to Indianapolis for the, for the games. So after the, you know, after the victory over Kentucky, who else, but the Peacock streaming service, NBC's, you know, streaming service <clears throat> decided to send the Peacock cheerleaders to Indy so they could play, you know, so they could cheer in that second round game against Murray state. And so, they chartered a bus and Peacock's for Peacock, uh, Peacock for Peacock's uh, Express rolled across uh, Pennsylvania and Ohio straight to Indiana, and um, so you, you get a little, you know that, you know that kind of story. And of course, the Indiana cheerleader getting the ball off the backboard was, you know, just sort of the, the the great sights and sounds of the first weekend.
0: Yeah, I mean, of those upsets that we had in that first two rounds, when you look at the teams that. Are out now. You have Kentucky out, as we mentioned, number one Baylor out, number two, a number two seed Auburn out, and then two number three seeds in Wisconsin and and Tennessee. Of those, who surprises you guys the most? Is there a biggest surprise for you there, Blair
1: Well, certainly Kentucky for sure. But I I don't know. You you probably saw Kentucky more than I did this year, Lila. I it seems to me that a common thread through some of these Kentucky meltdowns is um, their guard play toward the end of games, they just kind of lose control of games at the end or they, they can't, uh, they can't prevent a team from, you know, from, from scoring at the end. And, um, and, and so when, when it seems like when Kentucky loses, it's in the last five minutes of these games and, uh, and, and and that's what happened to the Wildcats again, I who thought it could happen against a a team that I don't know where they were in Ken Palm or Bart Torvik, but, uh, but no, they, they, they were, The number sixty seed in the NCAA tournament Mm -hmm. for a reason, and as you said earlier, Kentucky was a team that had a lot of people had going to the Final Four coming out of that region, um, especially especially since Baylor seemed so vulnerable the way the Bears played in the last couple weeks of the of the season. So that one, but you're you know, the the the, maybe the one that the the, the second one that surprised me um, was. The way – and this wasn't a first-round game. It was just the way that Miami handled Auburn in the second mm-hmm. round. I, I, I did like Auburn and another school that uh, they had coming out of the Midwest. Uh, a lot of people had in their bracket. But Miami and Jim Laranega, who's you know just an old hand at the game. He was the coach that got George Mason to the Final Four back in 2006. Coached a brilliant game. And uh, Miami doesn't make mistakes. And that's just – I'll tell you what, it's a team not to ignore in the Sweet 16 this weekend.
0: Yeah, that Miami game, I mean, I wasn't expecting a lot from the ACC in this tournament with just what we had seen from that league this year. But, I mean, you've got three ACC teams in that Sweet 16 and only one from the SEC. And I think with that Auburn game, what surprised me was I didn't really expect them to get to a Final Four. I kind of expected them to lose between the round of 32 and the Elite eight, but I figured that it would be their guard play that would be what would cost them. And it really ended up not, you know, in a, it ended up being this game, just not having that great of a game from Jabari Smith or Walker Kessler down low, which is what ended up getting them. Anthony, you've seen, you know, Auburn this year before in person too. And then at the SEC tournament, how surprised were you that, you know, they weren't able to get out of this round?
2: I wasn't, too shocked to see Miami get the win. I, I did have Auburn winning the game. Um, but I mean, I wasn't all that impressed with Auburn at the SEC tournament. Uh, I mean, AM really did kind of handle them throughout the game. I, obviously they kind of came back in that game, but I do think the writing has kind of been on the wall. They've struggled on, you know, away from home all season, both on true road games and on neutral courts. I mean, we saw that at Missouri, they, really probably should have lost that game, really probably should have lost to Georgia. So, I mean, I wasn't overly stunned. I did have them going out in the next round, um, but I did kind of consider having them go out in the uh, the round of uh, 32, but not overly surprised, but a little surprised.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think Miami is just – it's going to – It's really interesting there, and now you have that Sweet 16 matchup with another team, Iowa State, that is a double-digit seed. And when you look at Iowa State, they're now undefeated in play outside of the Big 12. As you mentioned, Blair, we've kind of seen how good the Big 12 is through this. They've been, I think, the best conference throughout the season, and it's really starting to show why in this tournament. Uh, And another team that really is led by its defense and was able to get the best of – wisconsin there i mean blair in your memory i mean can you remember any time when you've had you know a team win like two games the previous year and then be able to have a turnaround like this just how impressive you with what uh they've been able to do there under tj also
1: yes it's never happened not 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 a team as as low as iowa state was last year to go from two wins overall no wins in the big 12 they were 0 and 18 in the big 12 to have two wins in the ncaa tournament i mean it's their first sweet 16 and I forgot what it was 2000 I think 16 I think they went under uh, under Steve Prom so no it's it's an amazing uh amazing turnaround for him and I mentioned this to somebody over the weekend it's it's i don't know if you could you know it, i i didn't have a vote for big 12 coach of the year but uh, Scott Drew was the coach i think he was the coach's choice and Mark Adams at Texas Tech was the the media choice and TJ Olsburger um i think could could you make a case for him for national coach of the year for the, for the job that he he accomplished. Um, I'll tell you what though, if you're Wisconsin, you've got to be just beside yourself today to, to, you know, to have to get to travel just 80 miles to, from campus to, uh, you know, to, to uh, Milwaukee, to play that game. You're the three seed and to come out. I think they missed 19 of their first 23 point attempts in that game. Iowa state just had them on lockdown and, um, and, and, you know, for, for, but the Badgers, uh, uh, you know, next to Kentucky's fan base, I don't know if there's a more disappointed fan base in the country today than, uh, than Wisconsin's.
0: Yeah, they really had that, you know, home advantage there with it being in Milwaukee. And you mentioned the three-point shooting. They ended up shooting two for 22 from the field in that game. Johnny Davis, he ended with 17 points and nine rebounds, but he was 0 for 7 from deep in that game. And that's just not really a formula for them to have – success there and when you look at that game I mean Iowa State kind of a concern with them all year has been their offense they only shot 30 34.5 percent from the field but they held Wisconsin under 30 percent from the field and held them under 50 points which was huge there and it I mean just their defense has been so good throughout the season throughout the tournament and I mean I think as we get further along here that they're Offense could be more of a concern, but even just to get through those first two rounds has been really impressive to see from them. In that game, you had Gabe Kallster with 22 points. He shot 10 for 19 from the field, had a really impressive performance. And then I've been really impressed with their play from their freshman guard, Tyrese Hunter. Isaiah Brockington has been really good for them. I think they're a team that has a lot of different guards that can light up at any time. And I think that's so important for the tournament.
1: Yeah, that was a, you're right. The, the game itself was just, it was kind of ugly to watch Wisconsin, yeah. Iowa state. Uh, uh, and it was whoever I state, I think had one bucket, maybe in the last five minutes of the game, they, they'd get mm-hmm. some throws, but, uh, but Wisconsin's offense was horrendous, just horrendous. And it's a, it's tough to see a player like Johnny Davis, who was so good for so long this year, have the, the, the type of game that he did in the, um, you know, in, in the law, same with uh, you know, Keegan Murray at Iowa to, to, for them to, you know, for him to play like he did in the tournament and for, for the, for the Hawkeyes to go out like that kind of a tough weekend for the big 10.
0: Yeah. But one big 10 team that did manage to make it is Michigan. A lot of people were saying that that team should have been a first four team that they kind of got in a little bit too easily. They come in as an 11 seed beat Colorado state In the first round, and then go and shock number three seed, Tennessee. I really thought that Tennessee was a team that would end up in the Elite Eight of that region. I had been really impressed with what I'd seen from them, but Michigan got the best of them there. Uh, What stood out to you the most from that game, Anthony?
2: I mean, I don't really think you can talk about the the uh, Tennessee-Michigan game without bringing up Hunter Dickinson just with how good he was 27 and 11. I mean, absolutely pivotal to what Michigan was doing in that game. And I was a bit surprised just by, uh, by Tennessee, not really having as much success as they had in the, uh, the SEC tournament. I mean, just dominated from, from start to finish in Tampa. Um, and myself, like a lot of other people were really kind of confused as to why there was still a three seed, but, I mean, yeah. I was really impressed with, uh, with Michigan. I think Jawan Howard's doing a really good job so far this tournament and getting this team to play to their strengths and then exploiting the weaknesses of other teams as well.
1: His, uh, you know, his shot of, or whoever captured it of him hugging the Tennessee player after the game, one of the. Yeah. Kenny Chandler. Uh, yeah. Chandler. Uh, one of the great snapshots of, of the first uh, weekend and, you know, a nice kind of a, Nice moment for Juwan Howard, uh, as opposed to the handshake line moment Mm -hmm. that he had against Wisconsin. But what about Rick Barnes? He just can't seem to get out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. That was true at Texas, and it's true at, uh, at Tennessee. He's terrific in the regular season, but for whatever reason, he has a very difficult time getting out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament.
0: And I think another aspect of of that game that hasn't been talked about too much is, I mean, we mentioned Chandler and, you know, he was decently good in that game. I mean, he had 19 points, nine assists, four rebounds like those. That's a really good stat line. Um, And he's been really good all season. But you have that team led by freshman point guards. And then you saw uh, one of the senior, really older point guards for Michigan, Eli Brooks, kind of take over that game with 23 points, five assists, three rebounds. He was nine for 14 from the field, made some really pivotal plays in that game. And I think senior guard play and just having veteran guard play is so important in this tournament. That was one of kind of my concerns with with Tennessee a little bit there, Um, just going into the tournament. It's a bit of a concern that I have with Arizona as well, just with how young their team is. Uh, And then you've got a really impressive, you know, guard on the other side of the bracket from, Purdue and Jaden Ivey, who had been in the tournament last year and is now uh, a sophomore in the tournament, and again, just had a really incredible game. How much fun have you guys had watching Jaden Ivey, or who are some other players that you guys have really enjoyed watching so far?
2: Jaden ivy has been really, really fun to watch. We mentioned Doug Eddard before. I like, I like Ochai Ogbaji a lot at Kansas. I think he's got another, another level to step up for the tournament, but I mean, he's been, he's been good. Um, like we saw him against Missouri uh, at Allen Fieldhouse, and he was just obviously not the same competition, but he was very, very good in that game. Uh, Paolo Banquero with the, uh, the comeback against Michigan state was really impressive to me and uh, And I haven't seen a ton of people talk a lot about Chet Holmgren so far this tournament, but I've, I've liked what I've seen from him so far, especially when they came back against, uh, against Memphis.
1: I liked his teammate drew Timmy um, Mm -hmm. who went for 21 in the second half against Memphis, Mm -hmm. 21 of his 25. I mean, Gonzaga is down 12 early in the second half of that game. And Timmy, the veteran uh, just basically took it over and was, was, was big time down the stretch, and they they, they finally put away Memphis at, at the end. I don't know what that bodes for Gonzaga going forward. That's um, look. Memphis was playing well. Mem- I put Memphis and North Carolina kind of in the same categories at teams that you know you kind of shook your head at because with all the talent, what's going on in the regular season? But they've sound seemed to have found their stride in the you know in the tournament, and of course Carolina's continuing to play on. Um, and Memphis gave Gonzaga all it wanted, and the, the Gonzaga is still my national championship choice. But um, but that you know the, I know it threw a scare into the Zags, and I just don't know if that means the Gonzaga is a little more vulnerable this you know this year. Um, we'll, we'll have to see. I do think they come out of the region though. I'll, um, you know, another player who who I, I enjoyed watching this weekend was Remy Martin for Kansas. Mm-hmm. didn't start either game hasn't started since he's come back from injury and turns out to be the leading scorer for Kansas in both games. And, you know, you know, they were going to beat Texas Southern anyway, with in the first round, but they needed his spark against Creighton. Creighton came out um, playing, you know, a, a team that doesn't shoot the three very well, came out on fire and was knocking them down from deep and um, Kansas, which has been eliminated. I looked this up for another show that I was doing that, Kansas has been knocked out of the tournament the last four times by a team that came out and shot or made at least 11 three pointers so um, and, and Creighton was on its way and ended up finishing with 12 but Remy Martin came in and made a big difference in that game uh, with his just his energy and uh, uh, and got basically answered Creighton's run early and and Kansas goes on to the to the sweet 16th.
0: You, you mentioned Drew Timmy and just I think that was a huge difference in that Gonzaga game of between that first and second half and just his his footwork is there as well and I think Ryan Nemhard was really good for them in that game as well and and has been a factor for them there as well um, or sorry Andrew Nemhard I believe uh, always get the two brothers confused because we were just talking about Creighton and he was out for that game versus Creighton but yeah seeing Remy Martin come into form has I think is really going to bode well for uh, Kansas moving on the tournament. And you look at their region now, and you've got number four Providence left, and then you've got, you know, two double-digit seeds in Iowa State and Miami. So they've got, you know, I think Jesse, our Kansas writer, was posting uh, some of the 538 odds and and things like that. Odds are really in their favor right now in terms of moving into a – final four matchup obviously they've got that matchup with providence that's going to be coming up i think a lot of people saw providence maybe getting upset earlier but that team has really proven that they know how to finish games and they're more than than lucky kind of as a lot of us have pegged them so i guess from there we can get into previewing some of those matchups anthony what are your initial thoughts i guess we'll start with that matchup with the kansas providence and what maybe we can expect in that game
2: yeah, I mean, I've, like I mentioned, I really liked you know both these teams' guard play. Uh, I mean, like you said, R- Remy Martin's been spectacular since you know, in, the, in the tournament and was crucial for Kansas holding off Creighton. I've been really impressed with Providence all season. I've liked their ability to win close games. Obviously, got blasted by, by Creighton in the uh, Big East tournament. But, I mean, a lot of people have had C- Providence going out in the first round against a really good South Dakota State team. Um, and I, I really liked their, their grit. They came back from a deficit in that game to come like and to come back in those kinds of games really does kind of show me that this is a team that can, you know, win those types of games and, you know, potentially get the upset against a team like Kansas. Though I do think Kansas probably has too much. I like, uh, I mean, Christian Brown's been playing well, like we've mentioned Remy Martin, Ochai Baji, those guys. And I, we haven't mentioned David McCormick yet, but he's been really impressive to me as well.
1: And Kansas needs him to be impressive. That's, that's really a key to, to what Kansas wants to do. You know, uh, Providence's first win, as you mentioned, over South Dakota State, they came into the game as the nation's top three-point shooting team, and Providence held them to, I think, 30%, like seven for 23. And so you think, oh, South Dakota State just must have been off that game. Then they turn around and play Richmond, and Richmond is one for 21 on three-pointers. So obviously, Providence is doing something really well on the defensive end They don't have a superstar. They didn't have a guy Mm -hmm. who made first team all Big East. They just got a lot of good players, and they play hard. Uh, They get to the free throw line a lot, so it's a physical team. I think it's a team that's going to give Kansas trouble uh, in Chicago. I think it's going to be – I think Providence will want to keep it low-scoring. I think it will end up being a low-scoring game. I I, I do think Kansas gets through, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a final possession game.
0: Yeah, and if it's a final possession game, I mean, those are two teams that have both had to play some close games. And I I think Providence has been a bit more impressive with some of those finishes there. And you mentioned their defense in that game from a three point line, but they also really shot it impressively themselves in that game against Richmond, shooting 54.5% from deep. And if they're able to get hot again, that could be an issue for Kansas in that game. I also see Kansas coming out of that, but I think. If you get down to a really down of a wire game, I just think Providence has so much experience there with getting out that maybe they're able to get the edge there, but I just think this Kansas team has so much talent that it might do a bit to overpower them. But I think I think that's going to be a really good game. I know that Kansas is going to be favored, and I think that might be a tighter game than a lot of people are expecting. Uh, for the other game in that region, Iowa State – And Miami, as we've talked about, that uh, double-digit matchup there. Those are always kind of tough to pick of who's going to get out there, and it's kind of crazy that you're going to have either a 10 or 11 seed in the lead eight there. Anthony, do you like either of these teams more than the other to get out?
2: I mean, like we mentioned earlier, Iowa State's unbeaten in non-Big 12 games. Uh, And, you know, if I had a ballot for National Coach of the Year, I would very strongly consider T.J. Otzelberger. Uh, and like we've mentioned, they're not a great offensive team, but their defense is really, really impressive. And I don't know that Miami really has the tools to necessarily break that down. I do like this Iowa state team a lot. Maybe that's the, uh, seeing them in person bias from when we went to Ames. but, uh, I, I think I can see Iowa state winning in a close game. And I think it's another low scoring game, like the Kansas Providence game, like we called, but I do think like we mentioned like Tyrese Hunter, Isaiah Brockington, I think those guys are going to be be the key uh if they can knock down some shots uh and then Iowa State's defense like if it, if it's as impressive as it has been throughout the tournament like holding Wisconsin under 50, holding LSU under 60. I think if they can keep playing the way they have, I think I don't I don't think Miami has the uh, the answers for that.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with Iowa State here. As well, I mean, it's, it's an intriguing matchup when you look at just the efficiency numbers on the offensive-defensive side of things where you have Iowa State as the fifth-best adjusted defensive efficiency in the country, and Miami is 18th when you look at the offensive side of things. And I think that if Iowa State can find a way to disrupt that, that they'll be able to get the win there. I think their guards have a lot of confidence right now which I think can get them the edge in this one, uh, which is something I like in that matchup. But I just feel like of all the Sweet 16 games, in my mind, this is probably the closest to a toss-up as we're going to get, just because I didn't expect either of these teams to even be there. Um, And also, I think whoever can force the most turnovers, because you look at Iowa State, and that's a team that really thrives off of Getting teams to turn over the ball and score points off those. They rank fourth in the country in terms of turnover percentage on defense, but Miami ranks rate, rate sixth in the country on the offensive side of things. They don't turn it over either. So I think whoever wins the fast break battle in that game is going to be whoever's able to come out on top. And that was really an area that Miami thrived in against Auburn.
1: Well, Iowa State plays wins ugly and Miami wins smart. So it's, mm-hmm. it's ugly versus smart in this game. <laughs>
0: And then we can move on up to the South region. We haven't talked about Arizona or Houston at all yet, or I think we maybe talked about Arizona right at the beginning. That was a really fun game between Arizona and TCU. Some kind of, you know, questionable calls there at the end and things like that, but a wild finish there where the, you know, you had kind of a collision at center court, Arizona gets the fast break. Uh, They go up to dunk it and the, ball goes in but the shot clock is off before the ball goes through if he went for a layup there probably could have sealed the deal but Arizona is able to come out on top in overtime anyway and finishes that with a dunk as well they've been such a fun team to watch and they'll be against Houston one of the best defensive teams in the country that has not been phased at all by losing their two best scores their two best players earlier in the year just uh, a really, really well-coached team by Kelvin Sampson. Uh, Anthony, I know that you have Arizona as as someone who you see winning the national championship. What do you like about them so much?
2: I mean, they really dominated the Pac-12. And then I I, I think they're a good defensive team as well. Like you said, we, they're not necessarily the most uh, experienced team in the field, but I do think that Tommy Lloyd's got them playing a really good brand of basketball. I think the, the close call against... TCU probably may have may have uh, scared a little bit more life into them because uh, I don't think really many people had TCU uh, as a team that probably could have uh, won that game. Christian Col- Coloco, I mean, the putback dunk last night. I mean, come on, ridiculous. And uh, I mean, obviously, uh, I've always had pr- trouble pronouncing his name, but uh, Benedict Maturin, I mean, he was. I mean. I think he had 30 and eight um, against TCU. And I mean, if he you know, keeps playing like that, there's very few teams that are going to be able to, to contain him. And I mean, he was hitting shots from deep and I mean, obviously Houston is a very good defensive team. Uh, if they can, if they can limit him, I think Houston's got a good chance. I've been pretty surprised with Houston in this tournament. I wasn't very high on them coming in. Um, but I thought they handled Illinois really well. Some people had them going out to UAB. I did not, uh, but I did think UAB was going to give them a better game than they did. Um, So, I mean, this game is a little bit of a toss-up for me now that we're actually kind of seeing the tournament play out. Um, But, yeah, I've really liked Arizona. Houston's been a bit of a surprise for me. Um, Like I said, this one's a little bit of a toss-up now. Definitely more than it was before the, uh, the tournament started.
0: Yeah, Blair, what do you think of, you know, Houston and what you've seen from them so far? Did you expect them to be able to make a Sweet 16?
1: Absolutely. I just think um, their, their toughness factor is pretty high. And, you know, they, they were in the Final Four last year, so they know how to get to the Final Four. Kelvin Sampson's an excellent coach, as you said. I like Houston in this game. I like them beating Arizona, and I think Arizona may be when when everybody's playing at their best. Arizona might be the most talented team in the country. But after watching the the, the TCU game, I'm just a little concerned that Arizona goes into these scoring droughts of you know three four minutes, and um, and, and and that can that can really get you in trouble. I um, Arizona had some highlight real plays against the frogs, but you know if it weren't for you know, an an official swallowing his whistle. And, uh, you know, at the end, you know, TCU's the team that advances out of there. So I'm kind of liking Houston in this game. And, uh, but I don't like them in the region. I think the winner comes out of the other way, Villanova, Michigan.
0: Yeah, I have to say, I kind of saw Arizona coming out of this, but I was also a bit surprised by how much they struggled against TCU. I think I still have to go with, Arizona in this game, but if Houston is able to drop enough pressure and really force one of those scoring droughts, like you said, it could get dicey, Varen. I think I trust Houston more to finish a game at the end with their experience in coaching, but another coach in Tommy Lloyd, who makes the case for national coach of the year. um, I've talked about on this podcast before about how he's really just been this guy that's for so long as an assistant at Gonzaga was known as a guy who could really scout and develop elite talent that not a lot of, not a lot of other people were seeing, especially from the international level. And it's been really cool to see that in full effect for this Arizona team. But I agree. I think that the, I, I think that, you know, if you see Villanova come out of this Michigan game, I could see Villanova coming out. I was not as high on Villanova entering this tournament. I, I, Figured they would end up losing to Tennessee in this game. But now with Tennessee out and it being against Michigan, I think I have to go Villanova here and just all of their experience. And they've been able to get through the tournament pretty easily so far. And Jay Wright obviously is a coach that has been here before so many times and, you know, knows how to get them to that next level. So much experienced guard play that's going to be on both sides of this game, as I mentioned with Eli Brooks, and then, you know, on Villanova's side of things uh, you've obviously got that there with Colin Gilepsy, Uh, Justin Moore has been great for them. They've just gotten contributions all around. And I I think I'm going to have to go with them there. I think, you know, Michigan, it's amazing to me that they've gotten this far, but I think against a team like Villanova, that's top 10 in the country in offensive efficiency just has so much experience as the best free throw shooting team in the country. I'm not sure that I see Michigan getting out of this and I don't necessarily seeing this being a close game out of all the games left. I think this and Purdue St. Peter's has the potential to be the game. That's kind of not as close or, or kind of a blowout. out there. Uh, Anthony, do you have a, any prediction for this game?
2: I think I agree with you on that. I, I really like this Villanova team. I wasn't really high on them. Uh, especially at the beginning of the season when they were a little bit more inconsistent. But I mean, one name we haven't mentioned so far is Caleb Daniels off the bench. I mean, he was really good against Ohio state. Um, and like we mentioned, Gillespie and then uh Jermaine Samuels. I, mean, I I do think this Villanova team is better than this Michigan team. I mean, that's not to take away from Michigan's run. I really do. I mean, one of the more surprising runs I had Michigan losing to Colorado state in the first round, I was, Probably a bit too high on the Mountain West this season than I should have been. Um, <laughs> but I do really like this Villanova team, especially as of late. Uh, I mean, they put together a really good run to win the, uh, the Big East tournament. They've been impressive to me this tournament so far. And I, I do think that their offense is, is better than Michigan's defense.
1: Yeah, Villanova's got the muscle memory. Um, the program does, and Gillespie and, and and of course Jay Wright, the coach. They they know how to win this time of year. I, I do. I, li- I like them. I like them coming out of this region, and uh, whether it's Arizona or Houston in, in the in, in the regional final, I, I just I just like Villanova.
0: And then we move to the other side of the bracket. We can start in the West there with Gonzaga, Arkansas. When I made my bracket, I thought that potentially Arkansas could get a win here, but that game that they had against New Mexico, talk about ugly games of just – I remember watching it on TV, and it was just the same score for, I mean, at least a good five, ten minutes there. But I do think that Arkansas can put that offense together when they need it to. And, I mean, I I see Gonzaga winning the title, but if there's one team – kind of that could give them trouble. I I would see it being in this region, either in this game against Arkansas or in the next game, if Tech is able to beat Duke, which I think they're going to be able to do. Is there any chance you guys think that Arkansas could give Gonzaga some trouble here? Do you see Gonzaga getting through?
2: I see Gonzaga getting through. I have not really liked Arkansas in this tournament. I thought they were, I thought it was going to be a close game against Vermont in the first game for a bit. And then Arkansas would pull away late wasn't necessarily the case. Um, And then they obviously struggled against New Mexico State. Uh, Their offense hasn't really been clicking, especially, I mean, really since the the game they lost to Texas A&M in the uh, SEC tournament, they just haven't really looked like the same Arkansas team. Um, So I I do think Gonzaga is going to win this game. Uh, And I hesitate to say I think they're going to win handily but I don't see Arkansas getting the win here.
1: I'm with you. I I, I think Gonzaga had its big scare and, and uh, got you know, was awakened with the, with the Memphis game and was Arkansas has won its two games by a total of eight points over Vermont and New Mexico state, but I'll give the Razorbacks credit that New Mexico state had that kid was a Teddy Allen that went for 37 mm-hmm. against Yukon and they held him down, you know, pretty good in the second round. So Um, I'm with you. I think Gonzaga doesn't have much of a uh, problem putting away Arkansas, but hey, good for the Razorbacks to get as far as they Mm -hmm. did.
0: And then that that next region, Tech Duke, that's another game that I have circled because just two completely opposite styles of a Tech team that really wears people down with their defense. Another first-year head coach that's been so impressive there in Mark Adams. And I think that Tech could give Duke a run for – their money in this game. I really do. Um, just by completely stifling them, especially with this Duke team being so young, I'm not so sure if they can handle the pressure that Texas tech is going to be able to bring.
1: Yeah. Look, tech is um, you talk about wearing the team down. I think that's what they did to Notre Dame in, in the second round. Um, it looked like the Irish had kind of seize the upper hand in, in, in that game and tech, you know, just, Made the plays at the end. Tech's an impressive team. There are some people who think that Tech and not Kansas was the best team in the Big 12 this year, not Kansas or Baylor. Um, we'll see if Duke's on a little bit of a magic carpet ride and, you know, in Coach Cade's last year. they. Um, but it's been a bit of a pratfall for Duke each step of the way, right? Losing to North Carolina in the regular season finale, losing to Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game. And, um, and look, I, Michigan State had the ball down one with what is it about two minutes to go in the second round game? Got a shot blocked, and then Duke just 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 ran away with it in the last few moments. But um, I'm still trying to figure out who I like in this game: Duke or, or or Texas Tech? And Mark Adams has done a heck of a job, heck of a job with this uh, this team. But um, uh, but but Duke may have there may be something special going on with Duke uh, catching their you know just. Um, maybe win one for the coach and uh that that, that's worked before
2: yeah this isn't like you said this is a game that i kind of have some trouble kind of pinpointing what exactly i think is going to happen like we mentioned i thought i thought duke was going to really beat michigan state obviously that wasn't the case it kind of pulled away a little bit late but michigan state really had a chance to win that game um I mean, Duke's been one of the more confusing teams for me uh, throughout the season. Um, I don't know that I see them coming out of this region at all. I don't really know that they have what it takes to beat Gonzaga if they get through Tech. Um, I think you're going to need a big game out of Wendell Moore uh, if they are going to get through Tech. Um, But I think I'm going to take Tech in a close game here because they do, like we've mentioned, wear teams down. and. Duke being a younger roster, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to to handle that.
0: Yeah, I think that's where I'm going to go there as well. And then we'll get through these next two regions quickly. And then, you know, just kind of give our updated Final Four and champion picks. UNC-UCLA, two historic programs, are going to find themselves meeting in Philadelphia for that East region. As we mentioned, North Carolina, one of those teams that has found its form late in the season, another first-year head coach. Hubert Davis, there are a lot of people that were kind of down on him. And then he gets that win over Duke in the last regular season game, then is able to get a win over Marquette, really just, you know, crush them. And then it gets another kind of dominant type win over Baylor, although that ended up being a bit closer there late. And then UCLA, a team that has experience and has been here before in, in recent years going last year as well, who do you see getting out of this, Blair?
1: Well, it is a blue blood matchup, and those are always fun. Just fun to look at the uniforms of teams like that mm-hmm. in the game. And Carolina had an amazing game on, um, uh, you know, against Baylor. They were up 25 in the second half. Baylor came all the way back to tie that game and send it to overtime. And you think, well, all the momentum's with Baylor, but Carolina, you know, bowed up and and ended up winning that game. So, congrats to Carolina. And as you mentioned, Lyle, they just destroyed Marquette. So Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's hard to imagine a team with any more momentum right now than North Carolina, except UCLA handled a St. Mary's team that I think a lot of people love St. Mary's team that had beaten Gonzaga earlier in the, you know, last earlier in the month. So I think it's a total coin flip game, uh, coin flip game with real contrasting styles. UCLA wants to slow it down keep it low scoring North Carolina likes to get up and down, race, and shoot the three. Um, I think in moments like this, defense ends up prevailing. I'm going to go UCLA over Carolina.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree with a lot of what was said there. Um, I really, really do like the way North Carolina is playing, and I think I'm going to take Carolina in a close one. Um, I think R.J. Davis, the way he's been playing this first couple of games of the tournament, uh, I mean, he's – been really really good um and i i mean like we mentioned carolina i mean really beat the brakes off of off of marquette and then really probably should have kept going against baylor but still still pulled out in the end in overtime but i i do really like the way carolina has been playing i think rj davis is uh he i think he probably carries them over the edge in this one
0: I think I have to go for UCLA here just because of the experience there and just because they've been there before, we're able to do it last year. And also for, you know, the defense factor that you mentioned as well, Blair, I just think that that's going to bode well for them. And I, both of these teams, you know, have top 20 offenses, but UCLA has a top 20, top 15 defense. UNC, you're not seeing there as much. Um, And and I think I trust the experience of the guards there with UCLA a bit more. I think, you know, the guys for UNC have been really impressive. But I just think at this time of year, experience and defense uh, is going to prevail. And then the last game that we will preview here, Purdue and St. Peter's. Can St. Peter's keep their magic going or is Purdue too much, Blair?
1: Well, no, no, 15 seed has won this game, right? There was uh, Oral Roberts last year, and then Florida Gulf Coast in 2013 uh, lost to Florida in the regional semifinal. So, no, it ends for St. Peter's, but um, but incredible, incredible. That school that school's gotten more publicity, you know, probably millions and millions of dollars in publicity. It's it's going to get this week uh, for what it's accomplished in the NCAA tournament. I I think this is Matt Painter's year. It's, it's been a rough go in the NCAA tournament for him over the years. I do think this is the year that uh, Purdue gets it done, and uh, they, 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 they can beat you inside and outside. St. Peter's is a physical team. Uh, they, they, they matched Kentucky's physicality in that opening round game, but I, I just think Purdue's got a little too much skill for St. Peter's in this game, and when we get around to it um, – I got
2: Purdue coming out of this region. Yeah, I, I agree with just about everything that was said there. I mean, Shaheen Holloway has done a great job to get St. Peter's up to this point. Uh, I've been really impressed by them. I mean, Casey and Defo, if I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, I apologize. I mean, he's been spectacular. Doug Eddard off the bench, like we've mentioned. But Purdue, I think, is probably too much for for St. Peter's. But I mean what a run. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there were many people really uh, expected a 15 seed to, to make it as far as St. Peter's, or if they did, I don't think they expected it to be St. Peter's. Um, but I mean, great run, but I do think Purdue probably just has too much. And like we mentioned, the 15 seed has never made it farther than this. So I do like, I do like Purdue to win this game and probably get out of the region.
0: Yeah, I I think with Purdue's combination of having such good guard play from a guy like Jaden Ivey and then having the play of uh, Travion Williams and and Zach Eady down low, I just think having that one-two punch of, you know, where they can really attack them from either end of the floor, whether it's in the paint or beyond the arc, I think that's just going to be a bit too much for St. Peter's a handle, and I think you know, especially handling the size of a guy like Zach Eady, is really going to cause a team like St. Peter's a lot of trouble. So I'm going to have Purdue there, and I'm also going to have them getting out of that region. We'll end things off as we always do with final four picks and and who we have right now in the running for a champion. So I'll get things started off here. Like I said, I'm going to have Purdue coming out of that region. I see Kansas coming out of the Midwest out of the, and then the other two regions I'm a bit stuck on between Gonzaga and tech and Arizona and Villanova. And I think I'm going to end up going with uh, Arizona and Gonzaga. I really want to say tech, but I just think the Gonzaga offense is going to be too much. And I think I'm going to stick with the pick I've had, which is that Gonzaga is going to win it all this year. Yeah.
2: Go ahead, Anthony. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like we said, I, I'm going to have Purdue, and then I'm going to have Kansas. Uh, I, I just think both of those teams are pretty much or pretty far away the best teams in their region that are left. Uh, I'm going to have Gonzaga as well. I think they're also the best team in that region. And then this uh, Villanova versus Arizona, or even Houston, because that's it's a toss-up game for me. I'm going to say Nova comes out of there. Uh just because I like the way they're playing, I like the momentum they've got. I think I'm gonna. Obviously, I had Arizona winning the national ter- championship uh, before, but I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna pivot to Gonzaga. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna give in.
0: <laughs> Finally, gonna get a championship there, maybe this year.
1: I got the Zags over Duke in the in the West, Purdue over UCLA in the East, Villanova over. Houston in the South and Kansas over Miami, in the Midwest. Um, you know, it's not it's not unusual. It's rare, but not unusual to have a uh, a double digit seed in the Final Four. UCLA was a double digit seed last year. Uh, not going to happen this year, I think. Uh, if, if, if my hold up, I got a one, two ones, a two and a three in the Final Four, and that's a little chalky. But um, uh, but when you get to the when you get to this round, uh, the, the chalk tends to prevail
0: well thank you guys both so much for hopping on
1: thanks Lila
2: yeah of course thank you for having me
3: Make the big moments possible with First Federal Bank of Kansas City's March Rate Special. Earn 0.55 annual percentage yield when you open a new 11-month certificate of deposit. Already bank with us? Get started by depositing $25,000 in new funds. New to First Federal? Join us with a $1,000 deposit. Learn more at ffbkc.com moments and meet our team at any banking center to open your account today. Visit ffbkc.com moments for more. First Federal Bank of Kansas City, because banking is personal. Member Kroger, fresh for everyone.
2: Fuel restrictions apply.
0: I'm now joined by Augusta Stone, who covers South Carolina to discuss the women's side of a tournament. A lot to get into here. So many upsets, such an exciting first round and a half. We're recording this on Monday. So, you know, some of the women's second round games will be played later and we won't touch on those, but we've got plenty to discuss. Thanks so much for coming on.
3: Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Lila. And like you said, I mean, we have plenty to talk about today. So super excited to be here. So when you were on last time, we talked about
0: how it seemed like there could be a lot of chaos this season. And that is exactly what we've gotten so far in the best way possible. So for the first time since 2016, a pair of top two seeds uh, got out of the first two rounds and are in a sweet 16. And Again, we still have some more games to be played, so that number could be more. The eight wins by double-digit seeds in the first round and a half are tied for a record uh, that was set in 2018 for the most-to-do that. Again, that could be going up as well. You've got Iowa out. You've got Baylor out. A lot of exciting stuff
3: from the first two rounds. What has stood out the most to you so far about the women's tournament? Goodness gracious. I mean, I feel like we have to start with Creighton and Iowa. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, I've been paying special attention to the Greensboro region because that's where South Carolina has played into. Um, and I think we had so much, especially in like the South Carolina press corps, you know, we're getting so excited. Oh my goodness, you know, we're on a crash course to Leah Boston versus Caitlin Clark and we're gonna get there. Um, and then watching that game yesterday, I mean, as someone who's filled out my bracket and loves a fun storyline, I, I found myself, of course, rooting for the upset because. Right. (laughs) What Creighton was able to do was so exciting. And I've spent a lot of time that game finished right before the South Carolina one began. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, what happened, kind of dissecting it. And I mean, Caitlin Clark only scored 15 points. That's half, if not a third of some of her output sometimes. Um, just neutralizing a star like that and seeing, you know, a mid-major program that, that doesn't, that didn't get a ton of attention, you know, throughout the, throughout the regular season, you know, come in as a 10 seed and then, and then show that, you know, maybe they should have been a 10 seed. I think, I think that's been really, really exciting. Um, so that's like one of the main takeaways. And then like you mentioned as well with Baylor going down um, right before we hit record, I was talking about how I had Ole Miss going pretty far in my personal bracket. And then of course they get lined up first game with a uh, South Dakota Coda, who is apparently this year's, you know, just juggernaut beater, um, could not believe what they were able to do against Baylor and Melissa Smith. Um, just just the, the way that South Dakota is playing right now, again, it makes you for me, it's like you can call these upsets, but then it also makes you question seating um, because I, I watched a little bit of South Dakota. They played South Carolina so early in the year. So I watched them. I think it was the second game of the season and South Carolina was firing on all cylinders. Everybody was great and ready to go. So that game wasn't really even competitive. But just to see what South Dakota has been able to do down the stretch um, I just don't see where a 10 seed was really good for them either. I see them being, you know, more of like a six or seven seed. So there's a lot of different, different things going on with, with, you know, what is an upset in women's college basketball. Um, but yeah, those, those games were awesome. And I love to see, you know, growing parity and excitement around the right. game. Um, that that's just for me. How about you? What was, what were some of your takeaways?
0: <laughs> yeah, those definitely stood out. And I think you make an interesting point with the seating. There's, not as much transparency with the women's side you know when you look at the net rankings online for the men's side you have those quad results listed and you know that that directly feeds into it and you have a lot more analytical data online available for the men's side and with the women's side um you don't have that you don't know you know you have those net rankings but you don't really see what's being influenced by that And her hoop stats has, you know, become this great analytical tool, but we don't know if the committees are are using that. There hasn't really been that transparency there to say what they're going by. Whereas on the men's side, you know, they're using Ken Palm and a lot of those other statistical sites. So I think that's a big step that the women's tournament can take moving forward is having more of that transparency because it does seem like a lot of teams, you know, weren't seated, right. You look at Florida Gulf coast as another team that upset, Uh, Virginia Tech they were a 12 seed Uh, they went on to lose to Maryland in the second round but that's another team Uh, and I I guess just to get back to the Creighton and Iowa result you mentioned Caitlin Clark being held uh, you know to a season low in points she was held a 4 of 19 shooting and missed all eight of her shots from the second half and what I loved about that game was the sophomore Lauren Jensen who was at Iowa last season. She only averaged 1.4 points a game there, only appeared in 17 games, transfers to Creighton and hits the game-winning three-pointer in Iowa's building in the old place she used to play, finished with 19 points. I mean, how cool was that for you to see that moment? Just what what else stood out
3: from that game for you? I know, I know. See, I hadn't actually realized that she was a transfer. I was with one of um, one of our my fellow reporters. He turns to me and he was like, you know she was at Iowa last year, right? And I was like, I had no idea. I was like, this is so great. It have, what a movie moment. Um, another takeaway from that game was um, the last shot that Iowa took, it was not a Caitlin Clark shot. She wasn't yeah. able to get them off the way she usually does because you're thinking, right? I mean, you have national player of the year contender, superstar athlete. And in crunch time, you know, she wasn't even the last person they went to. I find that very interesting. Um, watch the tail end of it, so fun. All the South Carolina, Miami, you know, pageantry going on around me. And then I'm sitting here watching this upset <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, this region's insane. Um, and I, I just, it's it's been so fun to watch how it played out, but I'm gonna be honest with you, I did not see it coming. I had this feeling in the pit of my stomach that we wouldn't end up getting Leah Boston, Caitlin Clark, just because you know that would just be too perfect. I thought it would be Iowa State beating Iowa again. That was my theory, and that's what I was telling people. I was like, I think it's going to be Iowa State and Iowa meet up, and then they don't they don't advance. It's Iowa State because I think they're amazing right now, and we saw what they did against Georgia last night. I mean, didn't even look competitive for quite a bit of the game. So, I I, I think that you know it was a great year for Iowa. Great year for Caitlin Clark. It does, I, I've seen a lot of the Twitter, you know, discourse about does this mean that it was Aaliyah all along? Because I mean Melissa Smith was also getting her name in those in those conversations and those two teams, Baylor and Iowa, were the ones, the two seeds that went down. So I mean, I don't know if you know, people voting for national player of the year are gonna take that into consideration. Um, I know I I had an AP vote and I I voted for Leah Boston, but you know, I I just i don't know it 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 makes it makes you question a lot of things because i've seen a lot of conversations on twitter that's like well if you don't advance to the sweet 16 you know are you still player of the year if you can't even lead your team to win you know and things like that And i don't know how i feel about that necessarily because it's not necessarily an mvp kind of race it's you know best player race so um but yeah no i that those were some of my main takeaways for sure it's like you have this red hot Iowa team and then they're, they're beaten, you know, when you feel like they're at their hottest. And so that was, it's really surprising, but it's March madness. That's what I love yeah, about it. That's great. what made it so fun. <laughs> yeah. And with
0: Caitlin Clark. I think the interesting thing is when you've seen BT have teams be more physical on her this year, she's kind of struggled with that. Uh, when, when you've had her double teamed or just, you know, kind of more bodies on her and things like that, she's kind of struggled At times with that, I think you saw that when she played Maryland earlier in the year. I remember watching that game and thinking that. I think you saw a lot of that in this game as well. And when you have a team like that where it's really centered around one main player, uh, you know, kind of working for everyone else, that can be your downfall in games like that. Um, So, I mean, that was really interesting to see. Like you said, they were really hot. They had won a share of the Big Ten regular season title. They would won the league tournament. And then they go down. So now for that Sweet 16 matchup, you're going to have Iowa State versus Creighton, number three, Iowa State versus Creighton in that region. And that's an interesting Sweet 16 matchup of two lead, of teams from two leagues that have really seen a rise this year. With Iowa State, the Big 12 has has looked a lot better this year in terms of having more depth with more teams. You saw Kansas was able to put up a pretty good fight to Stanford in the first half of that game, you know, kind of got blown out in the second, but they, they made an impact there in the first Kansas state will have a game uh, the night we're recording this. Uh, we're recording this on Monday, but you know, that league had a lot more teams in the tournament this year than it has, and a lot more higher seeds. And then with the big East, I mean, it's always been, you know, Vill- Villanova, I mean, sorry, it's always been Yukon there, but, and you know, it, it was this like huge thing when they lost games, in the Big East this year. Of course, they went on to win it and dominate and all of that, but even though they had always players injured, but, I mean, you're kind of starting to see, like, teams like Creighton, Villanova got the upset and will play today as an 11 seed. Uh, you had DePaul get into the, uh, you know, they, they ended up losing, but they got in as one of the 68 teams to play in. So it's interesting to see different leagues rise up this year and just to see, you know, mid-major leagues as well. And that's what I love about this is you're not just having the traditional programs.
3: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I want to give a shout out to Princeton over Kentucky yeah, Princeton as well. That game blew my mind because I had, again, another team I had going very far. I guess I was high on the SEC, which I mean, you have your biases. Right. I watch them yeah. every week, but I was shocked because Kentucky was just clicking on all cylinders that fourth quarter against South Carolina I was like dang I don't know who's going to be this team if they play like this and then you see Princeton and and Princeton's been playing extremely well do not get me wrong but I was sitting there the whole time I was watching that game with my jaw on the floor because it was it was a tight game but to me it never felt like Princeton was going to lose I was like this is just this steady kind of dominance where it's like no it's never going to be a blowout but I just I don't see Princeton losing. And then they didn't. And then my bracket was destroyed in flames on fire. I tweeted about it. Kentucky found a way both men's and women's sides to just implode anything I thought was going to happen. But yeah, like you, like you said, I mean, we've just, we've seen these, these games in these leagues. I think Villanova is going to give Michigan a run for their money tonight. Again, I wish we were recording this later. I know. I, love, I cannot wait to see how that goes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I love to see it, you know? And I think, you know, to, to bring it back, you know, here to Columbia, I mean, Dawn Staley was asked about this yesterday and she's like, it, it's, it's talent, it's talent going to multiple places. You mentioned DePaul, who I think they were in the first four and played Dayton. Mm-hmm. And lost. I think that's what happened. Yeah. Um, they had a Misa Moro who is insanely good and just a freshman. Like she and Aaliyah Boston were pacing each other with their double double streaks over here. You know, we're talking, you know, National Player of the Year. And then you have a freshman at the poll. What's she going to be like in two, three, four years? You know what I mean? Like I love seeing just the talent being dispersed evenly across these leagues. You know, it's not everyone going to UConn or South Carolina, Tennessee, historically, Baylor, Texas. They're going to all of these other schools and that's how you create parity and i love to see that you know the stars from all over the place and and you know making these runs so yeah no i i completely agree with you i think it does nothing but advance the game and when you have upsets it you know, generates interest, you know, people are like, oh my goodness, how did Baylor lose? How did, you know, I will lose? And so I think it just, it, it, it builds, it grows the game and it also builds up these programs to continue to be competitive, which I just love to see.
0: Yeah. And you also had a near upset of three seed LSU, which was a really good game, LSU and Jackson state that would have been the first win by a 14 seed, in the tournament and got really close there. But LSU went on a run late, won 83-77. But to, you know, see teams like Jackson State and Howard both in the tournament as
3: HBCUs has been really awesome to see as well. Oh, completely agree. Completely agree. And that game actually, I, I love that Jackson State LSU game because it made me late to. Uh, I had a had an engagement to go to that night, and I was like, "Hang on, I'm sorry, I'm going to be like 30 minutes late. I have to finish watching this game because I had my eyes glued to the TV. I was like, "I'm sorry, I'm running late. This is too good. Wasn't expecting it to be good. You know, I was like, "I'll just turn it on while I'm getting ready. No, I was done. I had to watch it. Um, such a good game, so competitive. I want to give a shout out to LSU's atmosphere, though. I mean. I I get to, you know, experience really great atmospheres here at Colonial Life Arena, but that game was rocking for a first yeah. round game in Baton Rouge. The fact that Jackson State was able to play as competitively as they were in that hostile environment, too. I mean, got to give a shout out to that because that atmosphere that they've created down there. Oh, I, I want to experience it so bad because it was, it seemed so fun. And Jackson state was incredible. I mean, I saw them winning for a long time. I was sitting there and I was like, you know, I mean, this is just going to happen. And the commentators were already talking about the history. And then, like you said, LSC went on that run. I mean, Kayla pointer, and they just, they front to back of that roster is incredible. But, but yeah, I, I, I loved watching that game. It, it made me late for some things and I didn't mind it at all. <laughs>
0: So another game coming up that I'm gonna, I'm really excited for that's going to be coming up here in the Sweet 16. So we mentioned one of the matchups we have set already. The other one is number one, Stanford, and number four, Maryland, in the Spokane region, which I think is going to be such an awesome game. I loved seeing Stanford with the dunk earlier in the tournament and to see the environment there. That was so much fun.
3: I know, I know, dude. I know. They were they were asking about uh South Carolina players about that cuz they're known for having some dunkers and they're like, "When are we going to see it?" And they're like, "Oh, it was awesome to see, you know. We'll we'll see if we're doing it, but we loved seeing it uh from the South Carolina side." But no, I I was watching Stanford last night and the the whole sisters. Good lord, that roster. I mean, it's like everyone they have. They're the most balanced team right now, and I was telling you again before we got on air. I just I hate that Maryland and Stanford is a Sweet 16 matchup because I think both of those teams could go so far in this tournament if they weren't both in Spokane and if they weren't meeting so soon. Again, we're talking about seeding. You know, Maryland is a four seed, another interesting choice um, because Maryland is so hot right now. Diamond Miller is playing remarkably right now. And I'm so excited to see that. Again, it's just a shame that it's it's now because I could see both of them making a run in, in other regions with other, you know, seedings. Um, it's going to be a great matchup. Uh, I think Stanford is the most complete team right now. I mean, just watching them, even though the first half of their Kansas game was really close, I think they pulled away. They showed exactly the dominance that they have. Um, I, I I don't want to jump ahead in the conversation too much, but I do think that Stanford is the best team in the tournament right now um things can change but I've I've been very 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 impressed with what I've seen so far especially watching all the other top seeds watching the people that I think make it to the final four I just think that Stanford just looks exactly where they want to be and if they can continue that out for the next few games I mean they have a big test that Spokane region is is legit it's a problem and so so uh yeah no Maryland's going to be a huge test for them
0: yeah, and and I'd be remiss. I meant to say Fran Belivi before who had the dunk. That was just incredible. And yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, Stanford is playing their, you know, best right now. And so is Maryland. And I think that's what makes this matchup so interesting. Is these two teams faced earlier in the season in late November, Maryland was in that in the Bahamas for that tournament and only had seven players available, two of which barely even play. So they were without Diamond Miller in that game. Uh, They were without Faith Masonis, who is still out now with an ACL injury, and they're also without their sharpshooter, Katie Benzin in that game. And really, that was a tournament that they had scheduled earlier in the year to kind of help with seeding and prepare them for the tournament, and then ended up dealing with all sorts of different injuries and and things like that, not only in that tournament, but throughout the season, which is kind of why you see them there with a, a lower seed of just not really having as many chances to get out of team fully healthy. And so I think that having this matchup now, they're going to be really motivated now that they have more of a complete roster. And in those first two rounds, you saw Maryland really looking like the team that was promised all season. This team led division one in scoring last season and was supposed to, you know, make a final four type run last year and was knocked off by Texas, who is another team in that Spokane region. And you saw for the first time. Uh, you saw Ashley Owusu really look back to her true self in these two games. You saw Diamond Miller looking back like herself in these games. And then you add in Angel Reese and the sharp suiting of, of Katie and, and and the rest of the players on you know this roster. I'm not even mentioning Chloe Bibby or Mimi Collins and some of these other players. I think that's going to be a really fun, fast-paced, interesting game, and you'd imagine that Maryland's going to be really motivated going to that one, just knowing the last time they played Stanford, they didn't really get to show, you know, who they were as a team because of those injuries.
3: Exactly. I mean, all of that's so true, and and that's what makes the the March Madness so great. I do want to say, like like you mentioned, the Spokane region. I mean. It is stacked from top to bottom. We also have LSU, like we just mentioned. They're they're in that region. They play yeah, Ohio Texas State has tonight. to play LSU. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean that you the way they stack this region again, some of the best matchups. Florida Gulf Coast was there, you know, underseeded mm-hmm. beating Virginia Tech in what was called an upset, which I didn't like that verbiage for that because I thought Florida Gulf Coast was the better team. But and then the way Maryland played them, I just think that is such a stacked region and i cannot wait to see who actually advances out of it again i guess it is lucky for for you know stanford is the most complete team so it's a good thing that they got seated and was probably the most difficult region especially now with all these other teams advancing i thought greensboro was very competitive and now that i'm seeing all these upsets i'm just like it's competitive in a way I didn't even realize it was competitive. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, if we're talking about like these, these regions, I just, I, I keep my eyes glued on Spokane. Every matchup has been ridiculous. LSU mm-hmm. Jackson state, somehow they found a way to find mm-hmm. all of these teams that are going to play each other extremely well and put them all perfectly there. It's um, so very exciting. I'm excited to see it too, though. I, I, I completely agree. They, when they met up Maryland, Maryland had like an up and down season with the injuries and with with everything going on. And I think that, you know, they they're getting their shot now. And what better time to get it
0: than than C16? with South Carolina in that Greensboro region? I was kind of you know, it looked like I didn't really ever feel like South Carolina was going to get upset in that game against Miami. But it sure did look shaky. Very, very low scoring game. South Carolina won forty nine to thirty three. How can how much of a concern is the South Carolina offense right now? Where are you at with them and, and what you've seen from them with that, that loss in the SEC tournament to now where they've been in the NCAA tournament?
3: I am extremely concerned. The problem is with South Carolina's offense, and I am extremely concerned because we saw them start to slide offensively in the SEC tournament and through that, you know, they had the weak gap between NCAAs and SECs, and we thought, okay, they have all this time to get it together. Everything's going to be fine. And it's gotten worse, it would appear. Um, the biggest issue is with Zaya Cook and Destiny Henderson. They are veteran leaders who have stepped up in tournaments before they stepped up in the regular season. Zaya has had a very up and down year with her offense. She's just she's had really good games and she's had really bad stretches. Same with destiny. I mean, destiny Henderson, she had an injury. Um, I think it was in December came in for the Stanford game, hadn't played in like three or four weeks. Um, and then she's been up and down since she returned, you know, they don't, they lack that pure shooter, you know, someone who's going to score points and the good news for South Carolina is that defensively they're absolutely absurd and <laughs> they've helped teams yeah. like I don't know the number. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but like 54 points, I think 54, 57 points combined in the first two rounds, what they were doing against Howard. And then again, what they did against Miami, but thing is they had to do that because they don't have the offense to not have the defense that they have. And that's, that's scary when you have teams that, that are better offensively than Howard, than Miami. I, I don't, think it's necessarily even you know a lot of teams scheming up South Carolina I think they are packing the paint which is making Leah Boston less effective which is terrifying if you're South Carolina um we've kind of seen her neutralized in the past two games especially against Miami she almost didn't get her double double um she did but almost didn't um there's just a lot of different factors at play and the lack of a pure shooter is what scares me about South Carolina I came into the tournament very optimistic that they would find a way to correct the mistakes that we had seen through the sec tournament and so far i haven't exactly seen the improvements that i want to see so as someone who has covered the team all year i haven't been the level of concern that i am right now at any point throughout the season you know it's it's just offensive lapses they they have their defense their defense is ridiculous but that I don't know how far that can take them. You know, it just depends on the right or wrong matchup.
0: So as of where we are now looking at the tournament, you know, like we said, we still have some games to be played to get onto the sweet 16, but other teams that are already there now, who are you confident in to come out of those regions right now? You know, who do you kind of like now that we've seen some upsets, are there any other teams you think could get upset? Who are you liking right
3: now? Um, let's see. I, I'm liking Oklahoma and that's a matchup that I'll see tonight, um, between the four and five, uh, Oklahoma and Notre Dame, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Oklahoma. I thought that they were really, really good going into the tournament. Um, let's see more upsets, South Dakota, whoever they end up getting out of Villanova, Michigan, because I could see Villanova winning and wouldn't that be fun to have a 10 and 11 yeah. speed in the sweet 16. Um, so I think they have the opportunity to get, you know, a really, really good matchup there. Um, I don't know if this is being upset, but I've been so certain in my head that North Carolina is going to be Arizona. um, And that would be the matchup that feeds into South Carolina's game, which I think is a good matchup for South Carolina. The good news for South Carolina, I think, is that Iowa got beat because I think that that matchup would be miserable for South Carolina. Um, Just the way that they play, I think that Iowa would have been potential kryptonite for them. Um, but I don't know. I I think the Greensboro region is shaping up for South Carolina the way that they want to, um, you know, with, with how they've played. I still see Stanford, the strongest in, in Spokane, um, from the beginning of the Bridgeport regional, I've seen UConn eventually making it out of there. Um, I think NC state, I don't want to like downplay NC state. And I do think that they will make it to the elite eight. I just think that. UConn is the team to beat there. And I think UConn could potentially make, it's not that it would even be, it's funny with UConn this year, because I feel like saying like, oh my goodness, like a dark horse UConn team. Right. But because of the, the, the ups and downs that they had this year with Becker's injury, you know, a lot of roster just, Turnover. It was it was a weird year for UConn in the regular season, Um, but they have everything that they had had from the beginning, and And they're dead exactly. And they're playing better than they were earlier. (laughs) And so I think that UConn's one of those teams that like I I just do see them you know doing their UConn thing, which is controversial to say down here in South Carolina. But I think if you're talking about the way teams are trending, it's almost like UConn and South Carolina are doing the opposite. South Carolina was ridiculous throughout the regular season looked unbeatable and now they're finally showing that they can be beatable whereas UConn beatable the whole year you know had a lot of really good matchups and a lot of weird upsets and now they're they're just they're they're trending upward right now so um i, I hope that answers your question i know i just kind of jumped around the yeah, back and around right uh frantically but i think yukon is Yukon's a team to beat, you know, I think that whole side, the Spokane region and then Yukon existing down there in Bridgeport, also the regions being played in Bridgeport, which is a horrible draw for NC State um, to be there with Yukon. I just see it as it, that's it, it just makes logical sense to me that Yukon would make a run.
0: Yeah, I could see that happening as well. I'm interested to see what happens in the Spokane region, like we said, with having Stanford, Maryland and Texas there. So that's going to be, and then LSU as well, depending on, you know, they'll play Ohio state tonight and then face tech, whoever wins that game will face Texas. So that's going to be really interesting. I just think it's going to be such a fun tournament. It's been so much fun so far. So if you guys are listening and you are more new to women's basketball, you haven't followed along as much of this year, you definitely should be tuning in for these matchups. They have been so much fun, so competitive. There are so many amazing star players right now and just fun teams to watch with so much personality and thank you so much for hopping on to discuss some of it
3: of course thank you so much Lila and I completely agree I mean there are so many if you just look at the schedule there are so many different matchups that you can find that that'll just be so fun I think women's basketball deserves all the eyes in the world and I'm excited to see it growing but there's always room to grow so very excited for all these matchups and hopefully that we get to play a role in amplifying them and having more people pay attention so thank you so much for having me and for doing this segment I think it's awesome thanks so much for listening guys